0: If you have your Bibles uh, this morning, I want to encourage you to find a place in Psalm chapter number 11. Psalm chapter number 11. I want to look at this psalm this morning. If you're our guest, I'm, I'm preaching through the uh, book of Acts. But we've taken just a little bit of a break uh, today to deal with a couple of things the Lord's placed on my heart. Uh, regarding uh, the state of our nation and regarding our founding. I've titled entitled the series... Uh, Uncomfortable, and uh, it's the church's role in politics. That's that's what we're looking at. I had someone tell me last week. They said, Pastor, that that wasn't uncomfortable at all. In fact, we kind of enjoyed that. We really really like that. Thank you for uh, for doing that. Well, it wasn't it wasn't uncomfortable to you because you hold to the fact that this nation was founded as a Christian nation. Uh, but there are many that do not believe that, and they do not hold to that. And so. Uh, they get upset so I get letters, I get phone calls, I get texts, I get uh, uh, messages that come through, emails and different things like that um, and it's not my, uh, my goal to upset anybody, that's not my goal, my goal is to present facts and in presenting those facts we see that from last week they came from the very mouths of our founding fathers and that's vitally, vitally important, um, I, if the Lord lets me live to um, March the 22nd, uh, I will have been a Christian for 31 years. And uh, I've been in ministry now for 26 years. So I've been in this for a little bit, just a few days, uh, even though my young appearance may look otherwise. But I've been doing this for some time. And uh, again, my goal is not to hurt anybody. Uh, My goal is to present facts. And uh, in presenting those facts, I hope that our faith is strengthened the goal of every message your pastor preaches is I preach from a position of transformation. I want to see the Lord transform all of our lives. For non-Christians, I want to see God transform them to walking in faith in Jesus Christ. For us as born-again believers, I want God to strengthen our faith that we might walk even more closely with Him. That we might fall in love with Jesus even more today. So. I hope that uh, the messages that I've been presenting last week, this week, and if the Lord will continue to let me do so two more weeks, I hope there'll be an encouragement to you to see from the mouths of our founding fathers how this nation was established as a Christian nation. That's a big, big argument that existed today. Uh, I had one of the greatest compliments given to me uh, last week that I have received since I've been here. Someone said, pastor, said, uh, uh, your your preaching and going through this series reminds me of being in uh, Mr. Jeff Pritchett's uh, 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 class, his history class at Commerce. And I I found that to be a real compliment because uh, Brother Jeff, who's a member here, is a tremendous man of God, loves the Lord with all of his heart, and very, very intelligent. Another intelligent individual that's here today uh, is brand new, uh, first time I'm getting to see him. Uh, he looked like he was a little hungry, so he stepped out for just a minute. But Mark Edwards, Mark and Carla Edwards' his grandbaby, their brand new first grandbaby is here at the church. His name's Leo, and so is uh, Leo's mom and dad are here as well. And we are overjoyed that they're with us. So if you see a, a wider, bigger smile on Pastor Mark or Sister Carla, it's because the new grandbaby's here. And they are excited, and so are we. All right, if you found your place in Psalms chapter 11, say amen. Amen. Okay, Uh, let's do this. Let's look at it together. And let's think of this sermon through this lens. Atheists, agnostics, and Almighty God. So why are you looking at it through that lens, Pastor? Well, it seems that there has been a revision of history uh, in some sense of history in general. And what I mean by that is... There seems to be moderate and liberal historians out there that want to attribute some words that our founding fathers said or wrote to move them from a position of Christianity, historical, biblical Christianity, uh, into a realm of atheism or into a realm of agnosticism. Some want to move them into the realm of a deist. Uh, others, I read this past week, they said, well, the Founding Fathers were just really basically uh, theistic rationalist," is what one uh, individual said. Uh, and so what does all this mean? What, 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 is, what, is it, what does it mean that these things are being said about our Founding Fathers? Well, our foundations are under attack. And they've been under attack for some time. As a matter of fact, we find in this psalm uh, the question, what do the righteous do if the foundations be destroyed? So, so notice what the Bible says there in verse number 1. The Bible says, In the Lord put I my trust. How say you to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain. For lo, the wicked bend their bow and make ready their arrow upon the string, That they may privately shoot at the upright in heart. Now I want you to get the mental picture here because David's painting a picture of unrighteousness attacking righteousness. So he says the wicked have their bow, they've put the arrow in the bow, they've drawn it back and they're they're aiming for righteousness. But notice where that righteousness is located. It's in our hearts. So they're shooting trying to uh apprehend us from the position of attacking our righteousness that's in our heart. And then he asks this question. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And then he answers that question. He says, the Lord is in his holy temple. He says, we serve a high, sovereign God. He is in the heavens, the Bible says. He's sovereign. And not only is he sovereign in being there in the heavens above us, the Bible says he's looking down upon us and his eyelids, behold, he sees what's going on. And then he says this about his eyes, his eyelids try, that means test. He says he's testing the righteous. And look at what happens here through the text. He says, the children of men, the Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. So, man, that's so strong, such strong language. God's a God of love, mercy. How could he aid anything or aid anybody? Uh, We must understand that Jesus, excuse me, God is a just God. He's a God of justice. And so while you have his long suffering, his mercy, his grace you also have his his judgment. There's his judgment on this other side. And so in thinking about the judgment of God the scripture says it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. So we must all stand before the judgment seat of God. And the Bible says that he's upset with these wicked and violent souls that are out there. He says upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone and a horrible tempest, this shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness, his countenance doth behold the upright. Again, he solidifies this beautiful psalm by saying, regardless of the testing that you're going through, stay righteous because the Lord's countenance is smiling upon you, even in the midst of your trial, even in the midst of your difficulty, even in the midst of your testing. Now, I'm making this application nationally. We know that the Bible says in Psalms 33, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord's. In regards to our foundations being under attack, our responsibility as born-again Christian Americans is to stay faithful to Jesus Christ. And in being faithful to Jesus Christ and staying faithful to Jesus Christ, it means keeping the main thing, the main thing. And remember, the main thing is that we make disciples. That we live out our faith before us. That we clearly understand what does it mean to be a Christian citizen. I mean, we're, we're living in a day in 2020. I get this a lot and have been getting it for years. Preacher, you just need to stay out of the political arena. Because when you start dibbling and dabbling in, in this, in this uh, policies and, and the politi- political aspect of this, it just, it just gets all a muck. You stay over here on the religious side and let politics be over here on the other side. Here's the only problem I've got with that. The only problem remember when God called Abraham you remember that in the Old Testament when God looked at Abraham one of the one of the promises of the Abrahamic covenant is he said I will make you a great what nation and you can't have nation a nation without citizens and some say well our citizenship is in heaven yes you're exactly right but you're only partially right because God allowed for us to be born in the United States of America. See, we're dual citizens. We have this dual citizenship. While we're here in this body, on this planet, right here where we are today, we are citizens of the United States of America. While at the same time, our citizenship is in heaven, and we're going home one day, and I'm ready to go. Man, I'm ready to go right now. I'm ready to go home to be with my Lord. But He has given us Such a time as this for us to live. So what does it mean to be a Christian American citizen that walks and lives his life in such a way that's in the world but not of the world, knowing that his ultimate home is in heaven? I think the scripture is very clear because the Bible says again, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord's. Our founding fathers clearly understood that because God was in the mix in in Israel, the children of Israel, blessed are those people whose God is the Lord's. And the Lord being the God of America, we see that our founding fathers established a constitution, uh, a, a declaration of independence, and even the Bill of Rights with wordage and verbiage that contains scripture, that gives the United States of America and its leaders a position of reverence towards God. And in reverencing God, we see God's blessings have fallen upon America. Now, since the 60s, there's been a tremendous uh, amount of change that has taken place that has brought us here to where we are today. Uh, where there are even more freedoms and liberties to preach the gospel in public schools and public institutions they are greater in foreign countries than they are even here today, except for those communist countries we would not let you mention anything about God. And so we see that as we've transgressed throughout the course of history, we see this revision that's taking place, and it's going away from what our founding fathers have given us. And the question we have to hold to is, were our founding fathers atheists? Were they agnostic? Were they deist? Or were they just theistic rationalists? Well, if you heard the sermon last week, it's very clear by looking at their own words, they clearly wanted this nation to be founded on Judeo-Christian principles. They wanted this nation to be birthed in such a way that everyone in the United States of of America had the freedom of religion. We could be free to worship whoever we wanted to. We didn't have the king telling us how to worship. We we didn't have uh, some type of imam telling us how to worship and when to worship and what to do. That we freely, of our own free will, took the word of God, which is not limited to just uh, public interpretation. But we privately can interpret the word of God. Each person can read the word. Of God, and we can live our lives with morals and values, and, and all of these things that we saw last week. But we see that is being tested with moderate liberal historians today. I read an article uh, this week, uh, and it said uh, Christians uh, are America's unChristian beginnings. It's been a, they've been attacking us ever since. Uh, they've read the Constitution. Why? Because we don't want to be accountable to God. And if you look in hedonistic cultures and hedonistic societies, they don't want to be accountable to a God. They don't want to be accountable to anybody. And so they use these terms, atheism, agnosticism, and deism. They use these terms as a synonym when really they're not. Let, let me show you what I mean. I want to give you three definitions to begin with. The first one I want you to see is atheism. What is an atheist? An atheist, by its definition, is one who professes to believe that there is no God. They just said there is no God. There's no God. Were there any founding fathers that were atheists? Yes, there were a few that were a- that were atheists. It is someone that does not believe in God. Did you know the fastest growing, the fastest growing uh, religion in our day is atheism? So it's not really a religion. Well, it's a belief system. They believe in nothing. And so they say they believe in, in nothing and it's not a religion, yet they believe in nothing which they worship nothing because nothing exists in their mind. It's confusing, I know, but atheism has there is no God. And then you have agnosticism. Agnosticism holds to the fact, or they say the fact, that it is one who possesses or professes that nothing can be known beyond what's visible and tangible. That is, you look out in our world today, you see the trees and they're tangible, you know there's a tree. But you cannot see God. And since you cannot see God, he may or may not exist. So they profess that nothing can be known beyond what is visible and tangible. And yet we find that most agnostics fail to read the Word of God because the Word of God simply says if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. And Jesus said upon his resurrection, he said to Thomas, he said, here's the, the nails in my hands, here's my side. He says, put your fingers in the nail prints, run your, si- your hand up in my side and see that if it's not me, he says, I really am who I said I was. And then there's deism. A deist is one who believes in an impersonal God who is no longer involved with mankind, who's no longer involved with mankind. So they believe that God exists, but he's a very impersonal God. And his imperson- the impersonal uh, God that he is, it's almost like a, a clockmaker who made a clock. He winds that clock up and he sits the clock down, he never touches the clock again. He's not involved at all with the keeping of the time. He made the clock, he established the clock, he made the clock to run, and he's not going to touch the clock ever again until it's just going to run out. And so uh, these deists hold to the fact that he's a very impersonable God, and you just really can't know him. So there are those uh, in American history that hold to the, to the point that they believe that our founding fathers were agnostic, atheistic, or deist. And you find that in many in many publications today. You just Google it and you'll see that it's out there. And so what happens is, is when they do this, when they say that they're agnostic, agnostic, atheist, or deist, they usually quote uh, a couple of different founding fathers and they attribute these quotes to them. Like, for example, they quote John Adams. John Adams, according to these individuals, said this, this would be the best of all possible worlds if there were no religion in it. Uh, Did he say this? What does it mean? What in the world is he talking about? They also quote George Washington. George Washington, they attribute this quote to him, and it goes like this. The government of the United States is in no sense founded on the Christian religion period. And when you look at these two things, you cannot help but ask the question, are these statements true, and did these prominent founders truly reject and deny our founding in such a way that they said this is not a Christian nation? Well, as we saw last week, there's overwhelming evidence that says that this nation was founded as a Christian nation. So this morning, what I'd like to do is I'd like to stop for just a minute. I want to take these two quotes, and I want to put them back in its context that they were written. And let's see if we can't make some heads or tails about what they said and truly understand, did John Adams know Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and Lord? And did George Washington know Jesus Christ? Were these founding fathers, in fact, Christians, or were they atheists, deists, or agnostics? Or maybe this guy was right. Maybe they were just the, the theistic rationalists. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised by the end of the sermon. Let's take John Adams first. John Adams, this quote is taken from a letter that he wrote to Thomas Jefferson on April the 19th, 1870. Or excuse me, 1817. ...in which John Adams illustrates the intolerance often manifested between Christians and their denominational disputes. Adams recounted a conversation between two ministers that he had known when he was a child. So I want you to get the picture here. John Adams is about to write a letter to Thomas Jefferson. Now remember, they did not have text. They did not have email. uh, they, They didn't have social media... And and this is wonderful and beautiful because we can pick up their writings and read in their own handwriting exactly what they had to say. And so John Adams is going to recount to Thomas Jefferson a conversation that he heard when he was a child going to school. He said this. He said, 70 years ago, Lemuel Bryant was my parish priest and Joseph Cleaverly, my Latin schoolmaster. Uh, Lemuel was a jocular or very funny guy. He was a liberal scholar, and he also knew a lot of things about divinity. Joseph, a scholar and a gentleman in himself, at the parsonage in regards to him being the schoolmaster, lived. they lived together. And as they were living together, roommates, he's not suggesting that they had some kind of uh, alternate relationship... But they were on the school campus and they were single guys and they were living together. They were the schoolmaster, Joseph Cleverly and Lamley Bryant, were always having these different conversations about government and religion. To which Joseph cleverly said, he made mention and said this if he were a monarch, he would have but one religion in his dominions. The parsonage coolly responded and said, Cleverly, you would be the best man in the world if you had no religion. End of quote. He was recounting a conversation that he heard between these two individuals. And it ended with a joke. Lamenting these type of petty disputes, in his letter to Jefferson, John Adams said this, 20 times in the course of my late reading, have I been on the point of breaking out this would be the best of all possible worlds if there were no religion in it. But in this explanation, I would have been fanatical as Bryant or Cleverly. Without religion, this world would be something not fit to be mentioned in polite company. I mean, hell. So, in reality, when John Adams said, the quote that's attributed to him he's actually saying in the quote that we cannot have a world without religion we have to have religion in the world because if we did not have religion in the world in general it would be hell the response to this when Thomas Jefferson wrote him back and you can find this in the book memoirs correspondence and miscellaneous from the papers of Thomas Jefferson, volume number 4, page 301, John Adams wrote back and said on May the 5th, 1817, I agree. It would be hell if we did not have any religion here on this planet. So in regards to this, I want you to understand what John Adams is saying. In essence, what John Adams is saying is equivalent to me saying this statement. The ministry would be great if it weren't for the people. Now do I mean that, DeWitt? Of course not. That's foolishness. What are you saying? I'm saying it is hard work in the area of ministry when you're dealing with people. It's just like some individuals. Some, uh, you cannot, you're shocked that anybody would be offended at this message. Or anybody would be offended at what I preached last week. But it's because we believe the truth of what your pastor said. There are others, moderate and liberals, that do not hold to that. And so they attack that and they come against that. But does that stop me from speaking the truth? No, I live in the United States of America so I can speak truth. And really the truth that I'm speaking is only saying, look at what they really said. I mean, what I'm doing here is I'm doing with these founding fathers what I do with the Word of God. Look at the text. Look at what the Bible says. Look at what our founding fathers said. As a matter of fact, when we think about what John Adams said, John Adams wrote in his diary, which is the date of entry is February the 22nd, 1756. Listen to what he wrote in his own personal diary. He said, suppose a nation in in some distant region should take the Bible for their only law book. And every member should regulate his conduct by the precepts there exhibited. Every member would be obligated in conscience to temperance, frugality, and industry, to justice, kindness, and charity towards his fellow men, and to pity, love, and reverence towards Almighty God. What a utopia, what a paradise would this region be. What would create a utopia or a paradise if we would but only implement it in every area of the institution of of this region? The Bible. He says we need to implement the Bible if we want to have happiness. Remember, it was John Adams that wrote in July, on July the 1st, 1776, as he stood before the Continental Congress, the 13 colonies were about to sever the tie from Great Britain. And as they were doing so, John Adams stood up and he said this before all 13 colonies. He said, before God, I believe the hour has come. My judgment approves this measure and my whole heart's in it. All that I have, all that I am, and all that I hope for in this life. I am now ready here to stake upon it and leave off as I began that to live or die, survive or perish, I am for the declaration. It is my living sentiment, and by the blessings of God, it shall be my dying sentiment. Independence now, independence forever. He said before God he knew that God was in this thing from day one. Why? Because the United States was founded upon Judeo-Christian principles. July 3rd, 1776, John Adams made this statement regarding America's decision the very previous day to declare independence from Great Britain. He said this, and I quote, "...the second day of July, 1776, will be the most memorable epic in the history of America." "...to be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival, commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty from one end of the continent to the other." For this time forward forevermore what in the world did John Adams want he wanted from one end of this continent to the other end of the continent for us to glorify God for his sovereign protection over a country a nation the United States of America that gave devotion to not just God but Almighty God now does that sound like an atheist speaking to you does that sound like a a, an agnostic speaking does that sound like a deist speaking It's not even a theocratic rationalist speaking. It is a born-again child of God that says, by Almighty God we are who we are, His protection, and we ought to be celebrating that we're a Christian nation. I mean, we've come a long way, haven't we? What about uh, George Washington? Because I'm running out of time. What about George Washington? What what did he say again? What are they attributing to him? Here's what they're saying. The governments of the United States, or the government of the United States, is in no sense founded... On the Christian religion. Georgie Porgy, where'd you get this? Where did this come from? Well, the good news is you can find it. It came from a document from 1797. The document is the Treaty of Tripoli. E. This is the source of Washington's statement. That treaty is one of several with Tripoli, e, and it was negotiated. To the Barbary, the, the, excuse me, the Barbary powers conflict. Now, what were the Barbary powers conflict? The Barbary powers conflict is a conflict that arose just shortly after the Revolutionary War, and it continued through the presidencies of George Washington, John Adams, uh, Thomas Jefferson, and James Madison. It had to do with Muslims, with Islam. It had to do with Tunis, Morocco, Algeria, uh, Tripoli, and Turkey. They all came together, and man, they were at war against the Christian nations. Now, the Christian nations, and I use that with, with air quotations, the Christian nations that they were against were not Christian nations that gave you the opportunity to worship however you wanted to. Remember, we left Great Britain because we got tired of taxation taxation without representation, but we also... We also wanted to worship God the way God wanted us to worship. We wanted that freedom to worship the Lord, however however that is. And that freedom that was given to us by by God, first of all, but by our founding fathers in their wisdom said, we don't want to be like the Christian nations that are existing out there. That is the nation of England, France, Spain, and Denmark. But the Muslim nations did not know about this. They don't care about that, so they threw the United States in there with them. And so they said that here we've got England, France, Spain, and Denmark, and we're knowing that they're attacking every United States merchant ship that's in the area because they think that we're involved in this holy war. And George Washington wants to explain to them we are not in this holy war. We've never declared a holy war with you. And this long conflict and uh, all these five different countries pressing down and persecuting Christians. Finally, he writes the treaty and in the treaty we find what he has to say in article chapter 11 uh, or article number 11 in the treaty. And here's what the treaty says. As the government of the United States of America is not in any sense founded on the Christian religion as it is. "...has in itself no character of enmity against the laws, religion, or tranquility of Muslim men, that is Muslims, and as the said states, America, have never entered entered into any war or act of hostility against any Mohammedan nation." It is declared by the parties that no pretext arising from religious opinions shall ever produce an interpretation of the harmony existing between the two countries. Now when you put that in its context, you notice that what is being attributed to George Washington as saying is not exactly what he said. Right. Let me show you three things about this. Number one, it's just an obvious thing that you see. When you read the quote that they attribute to George Washington about the government of the United States, it's in no sense founded on the Christian nation, period. It should not be a period. There ought to be a dot, 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 meaning that there's a continuation of what he said. Notice what he said, continue. the continuation is, we are not founded on the, as a Christian nation as it has in itself no character of enmity against the laws. What about these other countries? Denmark, Great Britain, they all had laws on the book that if you did not convert and go our way, then we'd kill you. Well, that's the same laws that they had. This is what sets true Christianity apart from all the rest of the religions. When the Crusades were going and they were beating back Islam and beating back the Muslims back to the area, there was no conversion that was taking place. It was death. You were murdered, it was a war. A holy war. And George Washington says, we're not in a holy war. We want you to see the truth of the gospel. We want you to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So we don't have any laws on the book that say that we're going into a jihad. We're not in a holy war with you. In fact, we're not at war at all. And so this is what he's talking about in the continuation of that. There's no period after Christian nation. But let let me say this second of all. Number two. But what if he did shorten it and what if he did put a period in that? Would it make any difference? And the bottom line is no, it would not make any difference because the government of the United States is not in any sense founded on a Christian nation. is not an untrue statement if it's referring to the federal government. Remember the clause that was put in by our founding fathers described America as a Christian nation. That was in last week's sermon. But they did include a constitutional prohibition that was against the federal establishment of a church. So he's saying there, if there was a period there, he's saying the federal government is not starting a church to create a holy war with you Muslims. That was the second point. And then here's the third. The third point would be this. The Christianity that was practiced in the United States of America was vastly different than the Christianity that was practiced in England, France, Spain, and Denmark. As a matter of fact, we have words that have been ascribed to this by John Jay when he said that the, Christian, uh, the Christianity that we practice here in the United States of America is wise and virtuous. It's wise because it follows the Word of God. It's virtuous because we want to see all mankind come to Jesus Christ. Uh, John Quincy Adams said this, that the documents that possess us and birthed us as a nation, being a Judeo-Christian nation, were civilized. It gives people rights and freedoms. Now, it took us a while to ratify those things and get them into play, even up into the 60s, but the bottom line, in regards to this Experiment this great melting pot of a Christian religion, a Christian nation, if you would, without there being a state church. He's simply saying, this is a civilized thing. And then he says, John Adams said that it's rational. It just makes sense. There is a clear distinction that was drawn between the United States of America and American Christianity and that Christianity of Europe in earlier centuries. Noah Webster explained it this way. Listen to what Noah Webster said. Noah Webster said, and I quote, The ecclesiastical establishments of Europe, which serve to support tyrannical governments, are not the Christian religion, but abuses and corruptions of it. End of quote. You see... Noah Webster clearly understood in order for you to truly be a Christian nation, you don't go around killing people that disagree with you. That's why they established the United States in such a way, so that we have the freedom of religion. You can worship whoever you want. We're going to worship the one true God, and we want everybody to worship the one true God, but we're not going to cut your head off if you don't. But what happens in Islamic countries that has Sharia law, and here are these things that are even trying to be implemented in our nation today. Daniel Webster had something to say about this. Daniel Webster similarly, similarly explained that American Christianity was, and I quote, Christianity to which the sword and the burning stake or hot branding iron are unknown. General tolerant Christianity is the law of the land, explanation point. Let's have a little test. I did this in the 930 service. I found it to be fascinating. Somebody knew the answer to this. If you like to do word problems or word puzzles, I want to ask you a question. What is the word that means burning steak or hot branding iron? It is a five-letter word. The first word begins with F. Anybody know? Anybody bold enough to say it? What? Faggot. Somebody said it over here. I heard it. Faggot. That's the name. Now I want you to listen to what I just said. Let me give you the quote in its entirety. He said, Daniel Webster, Christianity to which the sword and the faggot are unknown. General tolerant Christianity is the law of the land. Listen to me. He is not saying and he's not talking and he's not referring to homosexuality. A faggot... In Noah Webster's day, and Daniel, excuse me, Daniel Webster's day, is a burning stake or a hot branding iron. If someone was executed on the faggot, they were executed on a fire. They burned them up, they were burnt up. Or they were branded. So do you hear what Daniel Webster's saying? He's saying true Christianity will not brand you because you do not agree with what they say. That's what he's saying. We don't go around killing people because they don't believe like we do. We must never forget what George Washington truly said. George Washington said, and I quote, It is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly implore his protection and favor. George Washington said to the chiefs uh, of the Delaware Indian tribe, bringing three children to be trained in American schools on May the 12th, 1779. I want you to get the picture here. May the 12th, 1779, you have this Indian chief. He's bringing three of his kids to an American school. He brings them into this American school. George Washington takes note of this and listen to what George Washington says to this Indian chief. He says, and I quote, I am glad you have brought three of the children of your principal chiefs to be educated with us. I am sure Congress will open the arms of love to them and will look upon them and will look upon them as their own children and will have them educated accordingly. You do well to wish to learn our arts and ways of life. And above all, the religion of Jesus Christ. These will make you a greater and happier people than you are. Congress will do everything they can to assist you in this wise intention. Now I want you to listen to what he said there. He tells this chief here that you will do well to wish and to learn our arts and ways of life and above all the religion of jesus christ what was in fact the arts and ways of life for american christian for america it was that we understand christianity that we live before the world as born again children of god that we see disciples being made george washington wrote down his prayers and he wrote one of his prayers and in one of the prayers that he wrote he said this he says oh eternal and everlasting god Direct my thoughts, words, and works. Wash away my sins in the immaculate blood of of the Lamb. And purge my heart by thy Holy Spirit. Daily frame me more and more in the likeness of thy Son. Jesus Christ, that living in thy fear and dying in thy favor. I may in thine appointed time obtain the resurrection of the justification unto eternal life. Bless, O Lord, the whole race of mankind and let the world be filled with the knowledge of Thee, Thy Son, Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Does this sound like the statement of an agnostic? Does it sound like the statement of an atheist? Does it sound like the statement even of a deist? Or someone that might be thinking religiously or a a theocratic rationalist. No, 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 no. What does it sound like? It sounds like a born again child of God saying that our dependence is not just upon God. But upon almighty God. And our founders understood one thing. That unless a nation exists that fights for true freedom then all other religions will force people into the religion. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves today is this. So what's our application? What do we do? What what can we do? How can we apply what our founders uh, have said? And especially in regards to this moderate liberal historical revision. I mean, how can we do this? How can we see our nation change? I'm going to give you three things by way of application for us. Number one. We pray. We need to pray. And we need to pray that we'll return to our Judeo-Christian principles. Our founding fathers clearly knew Psalms 33:12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord's. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is our God. We need to pray for our nation. Number two. We need to be the change by registering to vote and being informed of the candidate's moral positions. Titus chapter three verse one says this: "Put them in mind and be subject to, and be subject to principalities and powers to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. I want to talk about be ready to every good work. That's talking about the citizenship in which you live. We are blessed. Out of all the countries to be born in. We were born in the United States of America. And being born in the United States of America. We were born in a place where we elect our officials. And to elect our officials means that we need to be informed. And we need to clearly understand. What are the moral positions of this candidate? There have been many times over the course of our... Uh, of our existence that we've looked up at the candidates that were running for office and we said, man, you know what? Neither one of them are Christians. I'm not voting at all. Oh, brothers and sisters, I challenge you, look, look at the positions that they hold regarding morality. If a Roman Catholic is running for president and he does not uh, know that Jesus is the only way, he may pray to Mary or do the sacraments, but he holds to a position that he believes life begins at conception, then it's okay to fall in his favor. Why? Because he is proper and right in the position of morality. So at some point in our lives, we've got to step outside the box of our own personal party look at the morals and the morality of the individual and I challenge you last week on this and I hold true to it again this week ask one simple question when do they believe life begins when do they believe life begins and in regards to that the Bible says life begins at conception and then vote our convictions and then here's the third one number three third application Know the God of our founding fathers. Know the God of our founding fathers. I want to close with a quote from Thomas Jefferson. It didn't get in the notes because uh, this is one of those last minute things that I found when you're digging through history. Trying to find what our founding fathers said. There's so much that they said. You could just pick anything that they said. But I want you to listen to what Thomas Jefferson said. There's a book out there. It's called The Writings of Thomas Jefferson. And the page is page 385. Thomas Jefferson said this, and I quote, I am a real Christian. That is to say, a disciple of the doctrines of Jesus Christ. Thomas Jefferson said, I want you to know not only am I a real Christian, but I want to explain to you what that means. He says, I am a disciple of the doctrines of Jesus Christ. I want to follow after what Jesus said. You need to know the God of our founding fathers. Why? Because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. According to Thomas Jefferson's statement, he knew that. He knew the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. If he follows the doctrines of Jesus. Jesus said those that were were saved were gladly baptized. We see that in the book of Acts. The Bible is clear. Acts chapter 2. Those that got saved were gladly baptized. Some 3,000. He clearly understood the walkings and the teachings of Jesus. Maturing in faith and giving people an opportunity to accept or reject Jesus Christ. Even that of neglecting Jesus Christ. Our founding fathers knew very clearly and very plainly. The only way. For America to work is you've got to have it be a Christian nation with people that are, have morals, and the morals that they possess are the morals of the Bible. And while this moral country by which we had at one time, it has slowly eroded away. As little by little we took prayer out, we took the Ten Commandments out, we stopped giving the teachers their voice. We let the students have their way. And while we have wonderful, awesome teachers today, their hearts are broken because they want to see the morality rise up again in their classroom. You know what's a shame? It's a shame to have third and fourth graders now dealing with things that you dealt with when you were in high school. Brothers and sisters, we need to pray for our nation. We need to get actively involved. If we're if we're not registered to vote, don't leave here today without registering. We've got a little table out there. You can do that. Register to vote and then vote. And vote after doing a careful examination of who you're voting for. And then number three, again, the third thing is know Jesus. So I want to ask you do you know him today? Do you know Jesus? Let me ask it this way. If you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? I wonder, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed as we go to the Lord in prayer today, you may be here today. Maybe you don't know where you'd spend an eternity. The Bible says today's the day of salvation. Today you can know that for sure, sir. Ma'am, look, you're watching by way of video. Some of you are at home. You've got sick babies. We're praying for you. We miss you so much. But maybe you're watching today. And maybe you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. The Bible says that God in His wisdom has put eternity in the hearts of mankind. When you truly search your heart, you know that this is not the end. There's something more. It's called everlasting life. You'll spend it somewhere. God loved us to send His Son. He loved us so much, He sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ came that you might have life and have it. More abundantly, eternal life. If you reject or neglect Jesus Christ and die in your sins, the Bible says your destination is hell. But the Bible also says today's the day of salvation. And 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 says, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved." Over in Romans in First John chapter five verse 13, the Bible says, "These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life." The Bible says, you can know that by confessing and trusting Jesus. If that's something you'd like to do today, sir, ma'am, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you say something like this to the Lord? Would you say, "Lord Jesus? I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Savior. And this morning I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I repent and trust you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name.